LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Morning, Steve Allen with you this lovely Sunday morning. Uh, isn't it always? Coming up in an hour, I'm in conversation with Gareth Gates, who's back on the stage again, and Danny DeVito, currently starring in The Sunshine Boys. You also get another chance to hear the conversation I had with Victor Spinetti way back in 2009, after the sad news that he passed away earlier this week. But first, my best bits from the week, and we start off with a look at the weekend's papers. Who was taken to task in the papers over the weekend? Everybody, including Drippy Fern Cotton and, uh, and poor Mark Wright, whose programme has scored a big zero. You can't believe what some of the critics have written about it. I've never seen it, and to be honest with you, I wouldn't be wasting my time. Much as I love his agent, Jonathan, very much indeed. I'm sorry, this one's a turkey. Poor Mark Wright can't, can't act, can't do anything. He just looks somewhat creepy. His friends look even creepier. And then Fern Cotton. I'll just read you what what Charlie Catchpole says, because we like Charlie Catchpole. He says, uh, Fern Cotton took to Twitter to bleat about male critics who had a pop at her performance during the BBC's Jubilee Shambles. The sensitive little flower, and by God, doesn't she look like she could beat the living daylights out of just about anybody, uh, branded them bullies. No, sweetheart, says Charlie. No. Bullying is when someone... Uh, when some wretched life's child, child's life is made a misery at school, or with internet trolls who reduce their victims to nervous wrecks, not when a bumptious TV presenter is mocked for messing up a couple of interviews. Get over it. That's absolutely what everybody's been saying. Stop it. Get over it now. You're not much cop at doing it. As I said before, you're probably absolutely fine at doing your little stuff with pop things, but when it comes to any adult stuff, forget it. Mind you, one of the other critics this week, and I do love reading the critics, because they're generally saying exactly what we've said weeks ago. They've said it's about time that we have to drop Katie Price's programme. Because she's too stupid for words. She can't help it. She has the worst, the worst nasally voice. Always goes on. Are there any paps outside? Nobody's interested. I mean, seriously, nobody's interested. One of the critics says, Why, who's she talking to? And the answer is, she's talking to herself. That's, there is no other reason for it. She can't help it. She is boring. She does have a very, a very dull sort of voice all the time. I think it was after she appeared on Newsnight, she suddenly realises that, that she thinks she's intelligent. Whereas, in fact, of course, she's not intelligent, which doesn't really help. So we cut loads of items out uh, for us to use in our free podcast a little bit later on, uh, including... Uh, what did I cut? Oh, there was some bit about uh, Joey Essex and Sam for ears. You know, that foul-mouthed fishwife, same as Lauren Goodger. Apparently, they, they, were, they were caught in a hotel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought so. Um, and they, they, they were discussing how they're going to have a programme away from the Only Wears Essex. A spin-off. A spin-off programme. And, uh, and somebody said, but, but their, their whole relationship's fake, isn't it? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, to be honest with you, he's camp as Christmas. I mean, he can't be going out with her. There's actually a picture of them in bed together in one of the papers. And it looks a bit staged. You know what I say? You know, she looks like she's sort of desperate and up for most things. And, and he looks like he's sort of... I don't know how you describe him, really. Just a bit drippy and stupid. But it was... It, I know that things staged for our entertainment. But I don't believe their relationship at all. I mean, I've watched the snogging. I've watched... It just looks fake to me. I think he's hiding the fact that he was born Beryl. Okay? And I think he's sort of, he's masquerading as this semi-lucid, not butch creature at all on the programme, and we all sit there and point and laugh. However, somebody else picked up on what I noticed. The only way is Marbella, 
which is where Jabba the Hutt turned up and said to Arge, who was in the pool, with his... And again, I've said it before and I'll say it again, Arge, wear a bra. If your breasts are that big, don't go out in the pool without putting a bra on, okay? I know you're a boy, but frankly, you're a bit girly, I'm afraid. Anyway, at one point, he must have slept with Gemma. I know it seems horrendous, doesn't it? And I mean, almost desperation on both halves. But at one point, she slapped her bottom and went, and you ain't going to be getting any more of this. The look of relief on his face was almost, it was almost palpable. It was wonderful. And one of the, uh, one of the critics picked up on that and said it, they, they noticed exactly the same thing. So I was, I was very happy with that. I thought, you know, because cause we, we, we've said before, you know, fat doesn't mean beautiful. Anybody can be beautiful. It's, it's what you radiate. Unfortunately, Gemma radiates hatred, vileness, foul mouth, you know, ability of a three-year-old. That's what she radiates. She doesn't radiate anything else. And I feel a bit, a bit sorry for her, really, because it's not her fault that she's just not very pleasant. I know large people who are really nice, fun. They've got personality. They smile over. You know, Gemma just looks miserable. She looks like a squashed tomato out the wrong way. And I mean that in a caring way. To be honest with you, I couldn't give a four eggs what you think about it. That's my opinion, and I'm keeping to it. Oh, what do we get today with the Express? Free bag of Twix miniatures at Martin's McColl. We haven't got any McCall's around, are we? And uh, so there's no point in that one, is it? The wettest June on record. Couldn't care less. Couldn't care. I love the, uh, I love the water. I love the water. It can rain, you know, from now until doomsday, and I couldn't care less. Uh, Jack Osborne is the front of the sun. Strange enough, the mirror decided this wasn't an important story, and so shoved him inside. The fact that he's been diagnosed with, they've said here, incurable multiple sclerosis at the age of just 26. And uh, it, it's really shaken his celebrity parents. But uh, Jack has insisted, adapt and overcome is my new motto. Great, that's fine. I don't know anything about MS at all. I don't know at what age it strikes. Uh, I don't know, you know, how some people can get through their lives and not attract any illness whatsoever. And other people, like him, get it at 26. I mean, is it curable? because I really don't know what it entails. I've, in the back of my mind, I'm just thinking it's a debilitating illness. But uh, can you live a relatively normal life with, with MS? Is your life shortened? What are the, what are the side effects? What is, what, what, what's the medication? I'd love to know. Do tell. 84850, stevedlbc.co.uk. It's not a good day today for Nancy Delusional. Oh, popsikins. What is the bad day for Nancy? De- well, apparently for years... This, um, this woman has been living in Sven Goran Eriksson's flat when they were going out. And now he wants his flat back. And sounds a bit funny, isn't it? He wants his flat back. He wants his back. Anyway, so, and so he wants it back. And she's, she's not budging. She said, no, no, because she's fairly Italian. And, and she, no, you know, because she says, she quotes here. I mean, doesn't this make her sound a little bit naff? She says here, for nearly a decade, I put up with his nonsense and his infidelity. In return for my loyalty, love and friendship, Sven promised to take care of me financially. Isn't that a little bit like paying for you, dear? Isn't there a name for that? I mean, you know, he promised to take care of it in return for what? So you're just a paid bit of bit of toot at home, are you? That's all you... Anyway, he wants her out the flat. And she said, no. He said, he'd give the flat to me forever. Well, if you, unless you've got it written down, Popsikins, he wants it back. And he's been trying to get her out for ages. I'd have thought, actually, and I'm no, no disrespect to Nancy Delusional, uh, but, I mean, I thought she was supposed to be independent. I thought she was supposed to be the sort of person who was fiery, and I'd do this and I'd do that, and, and yet you can't even buy your own place, can you? God, you're not much of a role model, dear. You're a bit of a drip, aren't you? I thought you'd be up there going... Phew, Flat, 
stick it. You know, and go out and buy her own? No. She's clinging on like some drippy little lettuce leaf who can't actually go out there and buy her own place. I thought, Nancy, you're supposed to be... Oh, dear, you've let women down terribly. But there again, you probably let yourself down more, I should imagine. What a shame. I thought you were really gutsy and, and would go, I don't want your flat. I don't want your flat. Let's face it, you've done nothing but milk the relationship, so you might as well milk the flat at the same time. But, I mean, I had you down for being gutsy, and you're not. It's a shame, really. As I say, never mind. Uh, 84850, steve.co.uk. It's going to be a court case. It'll apparently be over in 15 minutes. That's what they've said. 15 minutes, and neither party will be there. He's not going to be there. She's not going to be there. Probably too busy doing a make-up or something. I don't know. Perhaps couldn't spare the time, or perhaps a little bit sort of... Perhaps she's having one of those massages where you take all your clothes off. Oh, I'm going to be sick. Sorry. Do beg your pardon. Nancy Deloli, of course we have massages. I mean, everybody knows about massages, don't they? People have massages. I mean, the very idea of seeing that carcass that needed ironing on, on the table in front of you. It must have been, he must have been hard-pushed to work out whether to get the iron out or a bottle of cream, poor soul. Uh, there's also a man who, um, he's paralysed, and he goes to court tomorrow because he wants to end his life. And he, he's had enough. He's had enough. But anyway, um, people have been tweeting for him, saying, listen, for goodness sake, change your mind. Change so they've got this this campaign going on where they're actually trying to get him to change his mind about uh, about taking his own life because he I mean I don't think he's actually capable of doing of, of actually taking his own life because he can't move anything he can't move anything at all I feel I feel ever so sorry for him and and for people who who really are that depressed he's only fifty eight he's only fifty eight I mean it's it's not very old at all but you just think if somebody's life is so awful that they really think they'd be better off not being here. You can only feel sorry for this. Go on, give it a go. Go on, give it a go. Somebody loves you. A lot of people on Twitter love him, and they're, and they're, and they're actually trying to persuade him to, to sort of to not do it. They say, and he's got children, they said do it for the children. You know, and, and, they, and the people have said here, listen, everything happens for a reason. Fight to live. It would be like, you know, if you saw the front page headline on the son of Ozzy Osbourne's son, Jack, going, well, that's it, I'm going to take my own life because I've got MS. That would be defeatist. You know, I mean, luckily, I should imagine the Osbournes have got enough money to get the best treatment, the best everything. Just the best everything. And he's going to get it. But these people, because they live their lives within the media, everything will be played out you know, on television programmes. And that's why sometimes you're not sure what, what you're watching. Is it real? Is it not real? Is it made up? Is it not made up? You know, these people just doing it for attention. You know, what is it? Because we don't know now. Even I get confused. Am I in a reality show or am I not in a reality show? Is Jack Osborne doing this, you know, in Los Angeles because he thinks he's got MS or has he actually got MS? Because if he has, it's terrible. But because these people play their, their lives out in front of the media and everything is... I mean, I remember when it was, uh, it was the Osbournes, and I watched bits of it. I just thought they were a disgusting, foul-mouthed family. I thought that the mother... And I, to be honest with you, I was watching the mother on the television the other day, and there's bits of Sharon Osbourne that I absolutely love. I think she's great. I think she'd be a great interview. I can imagine she's a right old bag when she's had a few drinks. But then, I quite like, Ozzy, I don't think you could actually sit down and talk to because he just looks like his brain has gone completely. Uh, and the kids, never the most attractive. You know, Jack used to go out in the garden and shoot the next door, na- he would aim at the next door neighbours. He'd go out there with his guns in, and he used to dress up in all this sort of gear, all this sort of camouflage stuff and go out there. The dogs were going to the toilet. Every- oh, it's the most revolting family. But then, no, they're not any better. They're exactly the same. Just because they've got, you know, Jack is now a father. 
you know, and, and the daughter is still the fat bird with no talent, you know, a TV presenter, probably businesswoman as well, because they're all businesswomen, you know, you kind of despair for them. The only person I really like, actually, is Aussie, in a peculiar way, because he's so out of it, he has no idea where he is. The Osbournes were in all the papers throughout the week with Sharon and Jack talking very publicly about his MS and how they're coping. Let's take a quick break, after which I tell you about the Olympic torchbearer who proposed to his girlfriend whilst running his leg of the relay. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. Tuesday was one of those days where the papers like to have a good news story, although I don't think it's as perfect as they make out. Th- this is this is a, a real heartwarming story. Tell us, don't get It's a, it's a love. It's an Olympic torchbearer called David State, and here, here here here's David, and he was running with the Olympic torch. And, and he gets down on one knee to propose to his girlfriend, Christine Langham. Which is lovely, isn't it? The fact she's up the duff, of course, is neither here nor there. This is what happens in Britain nowadays. You get somebody pregnant, and then you get married. Normally, it's, it's a bit old-fashioned, I know, and you're thinking it's old-fashioned. Normally, you get married, and then sort of like, you know, nine months later, somebody goes, I'm pregnant or something. No, not nowadays. No, no, no. Now, they actually get themselves pregnant, and then they think about marriage. Well, sometimes they don't think about marriage at all, which is quite funny. So anyway, Christine says, I'm surprised. I didn't give birth there and then I was shocked. She, she, she's quite classy. She's wearing a, a Union Jack maternity frock. It's, I didn't know they made them and it's lovely. I'm really, really impressed. Uh, crowds in Loftus, it's Cleveland. There's a lot of chavs out on the street. And uh, cheered a special constable, Dave, took the torch back and carried on running the relay after the romantic proposal. So that, that's great. He's a special constable. But he said, if I'd stayed any longer, I'd have burst into tears. Oh, that's nice. They've celebrated their engagement with a family lunch at the local Kentucky. Uh, no, I made that last bit up. <laughs> but you just know that they're going to be eating at the Kentucky, don't you? Looking at the size of him, I'm assuming it was the local Kentucky. Um, I love the idea that the police here... There's, there's two stories about the police in the papers today, which kind of grieves me a little bit. Because I'm a huge fan of the Met. Unfortunately, there is one particular case down in Farnham, okay, and uh, there are the police, and and here is a traveller encampment, okay. (sighs) You know what, I was watching my big fat traveller wedding the other day. My God, it was disgusting. It was so revolting. Little girls dressed up like little... I don't know what they were dressed up as. It was just too disgusting for words. And uh, they were all illiterate, which was a bit of a shame, because they said, where did you... The, 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 The interviewer said, where did you learn to dance like this? On the television... And you think, I don't know anybody who dances like this on the television. It turned out they, they actually thought backing singers dance like this, which was a little bit bizarre. Then it turned out that one of them had seen a video of Beyonce, and that warranted putting on clothes that made her look a little bit, let's just call it suspect. So anyway, so the, the police are down there, and they've got a couple of caravans, and the gate is locked, and some other travellers turn up, because they're, they're really class, and they're quite clearly intent on riding roughshod over the law. And they say to the policeman, can you open the gate so we can turn the caravans round, because we're in a lane, we can't reverse a caravan back. Which, of course, the, the idea is, as anybody with a caravan will tell you, is you unhook it, you turn your car round, and then you pull the caravan round, and that's how it works. You know, you don't have to sort of go... So they go into the field, they immediately 
dis- disconnect the caravans, and they set up home, and the police stand there like, duh, we can't believe we've just opened the gate and let them all in. So they're all in there, and the police are going, duh, dumb. Not as dumb as they are over in Egham. Not as dumb as they are over in Egham. Council officials thought they were busting a late-night gig, so they turned up with the police because they'd seen the poster at the Feathers in Laylam. And the poster said, (laughs) um, music from 4am. So they turn up at 4am. Of course, there's nobody there because it's a group called 4am. And the police and the council officials, duh, this is Staines. What did I tell you the other day? Where did they get the Jeremy Kyle show from? Staines. Probably council officials. I've just seen this thing. Music from 4am. Get round there immediately. Close this place down. It's at Leyland. We know exactly where that is. It's on the main road. Close it down. Music from 4am. I don't think so. So they get there. Of course, the place is in darkness. The landlady's going, what? Wait, uh, music from 4am. Yeah, they've already been on. They're a group. For... Sorry? They're a group. 4am. Right. Uh, Good night. And off they go again. Dumb or what? I mean, the licence, the landlady says, what kind of person who was planning a a 4am gig without a licence would advertise it? She's quite right, you know. They can't be that bright, can they? And I know some police. That's what's worrying. I know some police based at Staines. Oh, grief. Maybe it's nobody I know. That'll be very worrying. But anyway, that's just some of the stories in the papers today, just to put a a smile on your face first thing in the morning. Because it's Tuesday, and most people don't want to get up anyway. You know, and they go, oh, it's dreadful. Um... Uh, Helen says, you've just reminded me as a child nearly, well, a long time ago, going to see Michael Aspel in Panto at the Ashcroft. Yes, it's good. Uh, One here that says, I hate this. I need to sleep, but I want to listen. Steve Allen, you need to be on earlier. Do you mean later? Oh, you mean earlier? All right, I don't think so. No, you just have to podcast the programme. Podcast the programme. Everybody else does it. You know, it's a very simple thing to do. You just go to the LBC website, lbc.co.uk, learn how to podcast, and um, and then you've always got the programmes with you. So it doesn't really make any difference, you know, whether you're in or out. I know my even my neighbour Lynn, my neighbour Lynn, downloads the podcasts every day. It's my neighbour. I see her every day, but she can get a free programme every day just by talking to me. She gets the same kind of thing, but she downloads, and she she's uh, she's on holiday now. And she said, yes, I've taken loads of your, your podcasts with me. Which is uh, which is lovely, so uh, so bless her for that one. She's uh, she's 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 off and running, as they say, and uh, oh, lovely. I I I heard yesterday that our friend Victor Spinetti is not very well. Okay, and um, he's uh, he's got prostate cancer, and uh, there's an interview with him on the internet. He's he's, he's very philosophical. Bless him. He says uh, he's in he's in a. Uh, hospital in Wales, where they're looking after him. He loves it. He loves the attention. He really does. And bless his heart, loads of people have been up to bed. I discovered the other day that uh, a very well-known little lady and her lovely husband have been up to visit him already. And lots of other people have popped in and sent him cards and things like that because he said uh, the, the prognosis is not good. He said, I don't think I'm going to be coming out. He said, but I'm not ready to go yet. He's, he's quite feisty. They've put him on morphine. And um, <laughs> bless his heart, he's lovely. So I'm going to send him a card later on today. And uh, it's, it's, it's really terrible, really. It really is terrible. He's, he's in great spirit. The person who went down to see him says uh, it doesn't look good, but he was in, in good spirits. So that's possibly the morphine. 
because loads of other people went through the same thing. So if anybody is uh, listening up there in Welsh Wales, hello. Give our love to Victor Spinetti and uh, tell him everybody's thinking of him. Because uh, if it, I think he's still downloadable on podcast. I'm pretty certain he must be downloadable. Unless he's, he's fallen off the end of it, as they say. Because uh, after, I think, two or three years, they have to... They, they, they shunt them. So the whole idea... So it's uh, so a good luck. So I'm sh- I shall send him a card later on today wishing him, wishing him well and hoping that he comes back down to London. But I think it's very unlikely that he will come back down to London. He's got a flat just literally round the corner from here. So um, we wish him the best, the very best. Uh, right, 84850, uk. Apparently the changing shape of British family will revolutionise future holidays. Nobody goes on holiday with their family anymore, do they? Unless you're one of those sort of families, you know. Now people are saying that uh, traditional family... I mean, at what age do you not go on with your holiday with your parents? In my case, it was 15. Because after 15, you really don't want to be with your parents. We were in town on Sunday going off to lunch. And there's a family. There's, there's mother, father, son and daughter. And quite clearly, the kids just didn't want to be with their parents. They really, they're traipsing them around Covent Garden. And the kids are like, this is so boring. And every so often, you know, the son is looking at his mobile phone, seeing if, <laughs> desperately if anybody's left a message that he can reply to, going, help, help, because you never wanted to do it. You never wanted to go out with your parents. Go, right, we're actually going up to town. Oh, God, really? And, and she had to go out with your parents, and then you'd do the rounds in the museum. My father just used to do the museums, which actually, strangely enough, at the time, I didn't like it. But now... I, I love doing the museums. I've, I've inherited the love of going round museums, so I like things like that. And uh, the producers, I've got friends who are 26, still going on holiday with their parents each year. That's scary. That's not normal, is it? You know, scary. I mean, I understand a family home abroad and people go to it. But the idea of actually booking to go with your parents... And my cousin's whole family goes. So dad, new mum, four kids from one side, 18 to 28, and other daughter, 27. Oh, God beginning to sound so it sounds revolting it's beginning to sound like something that the council should get involved with it's not normal is it going on holiday with with sort of family and things like that oh, dear uh, where are they going to hold a gig in Laylam? says Stephen Arlington I know it's in a, in a pub <laughs> music from 4 a.m it's so funny it's so funny it's it's kind of it's kind of just laughable really he says uh, try the restaurant in Notcuts, the garden center brilliant it's I have eaten in Notcuts. Not very often, because it's full of a lot of quite elderly people, but I have, I have been there. I go to Knock Cuts at Christmas, because they have a really, really good uh, garden centre. We all know, says Paul, the product placement thing goes on and has done so for years. I think that uh, Nicholas Bentner's pants would have gone unnoticed, apart from the fact that Paddy Power then decided to brag about the fact that he was showing them off on loads of adverts on various websites. Of course, because they'd paid enough for it. Unfortunately, Bentner by name, Bentner by nature... You know, he took the golden shilling and he got fined 80 grand. I hope they only paid him 50, because then it'll be 30 quid, 30,000 pound down. Sadly, the voice will return, as even on points of view the other week, Danny Cohen told us it would. He likes it. Well, they've paid for it for two years. And because he does, we all have to suffer. How deluded are they over at the BBC being told what I will like is akin to a red rag with a bull? I did notice the other day that many of the clubs that Mark Wright and his boys were attending were the same ones that Peter Andrex and his long-suffering mate from Stoke were going to. Could this be product placement as well? More like the fact that the thrifty folk at ITV2 are trying to save a few quid. It's, it's more that. And also the fact that they're bone idle over at ITV2. They just think if they shove these people on... To be honest with you, the programmes are maybe the budget of threepence. 
So it makes no difference to them. If, if, if Mark Wright doesn't hit with his... Like the Amy Childs programme, was so dull. I was watching a clip on the television the other day of her vajazzling when she was in the Big Brother house. She's got the mental ability of a peanut. I've seen, I've seen peas in the pod more intelligent than her. You know, she talked like that, talked like that. Don't worry, I didn't have to do this, do that. And then you discover that the whole cast of The Only Way is Essex talked like that. And then poor old Mark Wright. I mean, it, it really was absolutely pitifully awful. I mean, in fact, pitifully awful does, doesn't really cover it at all. Well, I'm hopeful that Mark can turn his programme around, but something tells me it's not looking too good. At six... My in-conversation is with Gareth Gates, who's come on leaps and bounds with his speech impediment since he first shot to fame ten years ago. Danny DeVito about working in Hollywood, and Victor Spinetti, who talks us through his remarkable career with almost everyone in the business. But first, it's the headlines at 5.30. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. Coming up in half an hour, you'll hear from Gareth Gates about not being a very good dancer. Danny DeVito, who's excited to be working with Richard Griffiths. And another chance to hear from Victor Spinetti about his illustrious career in showbiz. We spoke about him a lot on Wednesday morning after he died on Monday. I was delighted to see that Victor Spinetti got loads of coverage in the paper today because uh, normally, you know, people don't get too much coverage. In fact, there's another actor who uh, also died yesterday and he only got a little tiny bit of coverage. So we'll be talking about him a bit later on. And Victor was a good friend to the programme. In fact, we used to speak to him most mornings. Uh, he, he discovered the programme a while ago and uh, he used to phone up and have a chat to the producer. Hello, it's Victor again. And he lived around the corner from here, and he came to our last show, so all the people who came to the last show at The Mermaid, Victor was there, and then we got him tickets as well to go and see the bootleg Beatles, and he went to see them at the Royal Albert Hall, and he sat backstage chatting away to them about <laughs> about this programme. So, uh, sadly missed. Barbara, as I say, and Scott went up to see him, I think on Wednesday, and uh, sat uh, by his bedside. That she, I think she played him a bit of a bit of a programme they've got going out this week. Such an interesting man. And uh, 82, never told me how old he was. I never asked, he never told me, which is probably wise, I should imagine. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk, or 08456060973. Papers this morning are all full of sort of the usual kind of rubbish. I mean, the, the rubbish was mainly getting on trains yesterday, going to Ascot. My God, it's Chav's day out. Oh, Dear me, it really is so appalling. You'd think, wouldn't you? Ascot, very posh, uh, because it was made famous by My Fair Lady, you know, and every Duke and Earl and Peer is here. Sadly, not yesterday. It was every sort of drunk, every sort of chav, every sort of bikey. All the bikies have got their bikes in the car parks. They can't afford to take the cars down there. And uh, people with tattoos. There's a woman in the paper today wearing tattoos. She looks quite nice, and then she took her jacket off, and her arms are covered in tattoos. It just looks cheap and horrible. There's no two ways that you could ever make it look attractive. Johnny Depp has split from his uh, singer-girlfriend, Vanessa Paradis. That's after 14 years. Rumour had it that it was, it was a bit iffy anyway. So there was probably very little chance it was going to go for much longer. Nancy Delusional, talked about by Jane Moore today. I'm delighted to report that Jane concurs with everything we said the other day. That if, uh, if, if Nancy Doolally, oh is so, uh, so, you know, feisty and stand up for women to write and I do this and do that. Why don't you get out of Sven's flat and give it back to him? Why don't you go buy your own flat, says Jane Moore. You're a lawyer. 
Surely. They, they were never married, never had any children, and they, th- nothing was written down. Why, sh- why should somebody give somebody a £2.7 million flat? He wants it back. He wants to sell it. Makes perfect sense. Get out. Come on, try and be an original person. Try and be, you know, a bit feisty. Try and sort of buy your own. I mean, some of the comments she was coming up with the other day, which was, you know, he, he promised to look after me. You're as wet and drippy as everybody thinks you are. In fact, you, you know, you completely destroyed your own argument overnight. Goodness sake, go and buy somewhere big. Go and buy a three million pound flat. Or haven't you got three million? If you've got the same accountant as Jimmy Carr, there's very likely that you have got loads of money and it's all offshore. What it is, it's, it's legal, but it's just seen as being a little bit, little bit, little bit nasty, I'm afraid. Um, because what, what Jimmy Carr has done, with the help of a company, I believe, based in, um, where are they based? I think in Jersey or something like that, is that you put your money into an offshore account, in this case, I think £3.3 million. Pounds. Okay, so you would, lots of people do that. And then what you do is you, you borrow it back. Your, your fund lends you money. So you take your £3.3 million, if you're lucky enough to have it, and you take it out of your earnings, and I'm assuming that's just a small part of Jimmy Carr's tax, you know, his, his earnings. Most, most comics could turn over £5 million a year easy. The time you've done tour, you've done the DVDs, £3.3 million is, is peanuts, let me tell you. Absolute peanuts. If Michael McIntyre, three years ago, grossed eight million on the sale of DVDs, you know how much money is out there. So what you do is you put it into this offshore account and then it loans you the money back. But because it loans you, there's no tax to pay. So it's, I mean, it's, it's actually quite clever when you think about it, but loads of people do it. It's done by loads of people. I remember a short while ago that uh, there was a well-known... TV chat show host who started buying up acres and acres and acres of Scottish forest because it was tax exempt. You could put all your money into forestry and there was no tax to pay, which I thought was a little bit of a swizz as well. See, again, but and people laugh at it. Oh, it doesn't make any difference, does it? You know, doing things like that. And the answer is that it doesn't because it's obviously a loophole. It's obviously legal at the moment. If it was illegal, they could do something about it, but it appears to be legal. So now they're going to try and close the door to stop anybody else doing it. But I've said to you before that the one thing that people do if they've got a lot of money is put it into a foundation. It doesn't matter what the foundation, you know, saving gay squirrels. You can, you can save whatever you want nowadays. And so they put it into a foundation. So they've all got one and it's totally legal and you can take out all your expenses and you can live very well on what comes out of your foundation. So Elton John's got one. George Michael's got one. Cheryl Cole's got one. Or is that just Cheryl? Or is that just... Who knows what she's called today. But she has one as well. And what you do is, if you've got a lot of money, you channel it in there, and you can take out, (coughs) you know, all the money you want for all your expenses. It's all expenses. You could take out... In her case, she could take out, put all her outfits through there, take money out of it, and you pay very little tax. I mean, it's a legal tax dodge. I wish I had enough money to do it. Thousands of people do it. If you've got a lot of money, why would you want to give it to the government? I understand how the principle works. If we all did that, there wouldn't be any money coming back in again. But it's, it's interesting, isn't it, when you actually think about it, that people have got that much money, they can afford to do that. Jimmy Carr, of course, was only seen a short while ago mocking Barclays for avoiding tax. And that's exactly what he's done. Exactly the same. But there again, a lot of other comedians have sort of jumped to his defence saying, you know, he works very hard, he does this for charity, he does that. Well, he's got absolutely... Excuse my French bugger all to do with it. It doesn't make any difference how much charity work you do. You know, if, if you're somebody who cheats the system, you're somebody who cheats the system. 
doesn't matter whether you've given money to sort of starving penguins in Antarctica or something like that, or, you know, gay babies against the whale or something. It doesn't make any difference. It's to do whether or not the public are going to look at you and go, wait a minute, so you've put your 3.3 million legally in an offshore account and then you've lent it back to yourself. Yep. Why? Because it's legal. I can do it. Inland Revenue goes, oh, I think we need to shut that door very quickly. They'll be horrified. There's going to be an absolute avalanche of people when they open this door, all coming out of the same place, all with their money in offshore accounts. That's why people go and live in, is it Guernsey? Where they have zero tax, I think. Mind you, the speed limit on the roads is 35 miles an hour, so there's not much point in going over there. But as they say, buy a, a home in, in Guernsey, and the chances are you could be sitting at a bar, everybody's on the same level, with somebody who's worth £300 million. And so uh, so that's how it works. So, so Jimmy, I mean, had he not criticised Barclays for not paying tax, they wouldn't have probably noticed it. But because he's fairly fairly vocal when it comes to criticising people, I think he'd done the, the 10 o'clock live show and he'd mocked Barclays without realising at the time it's going to come back and bite you on the bum. And it came back and bit him on the bum big time because now people are going, oh, so you don't pay very much tax. Which, of course, we'd all love to do. We'd all want to be in the same position. I, myself, would definitely want to be there. Um, also, the papers today, a picture of Wayne Rooney wearing a dead ferret on his head. I don't know what the dickens they call it. It looks more ridiculous every time I see it. But uh, pages and pages of, uh, of football. I was, going to, I was going to talk about football this morning, and then I thought, I don't think so. <laughs> you, know, you kind of think about it for five seconds. So he said to me, are you going to be talking about football? I went, no. <laughs> don't think so at all. Uh, Greg Wallace's estranged wife, Heidi, wished him luck last night with his very pretty, in inverted commas, because she's not, uh, new wannabe glamour model. And uh, she's in the paper. And there's something the matter with him, isn't he? And then Amy Winehouse's father, Mitch. He's been out of the papers for about uh, about a month. He doesn't like it. He needs to get back in as quick as possible. He's written a book about her uh, about her life. You know, any way to capitalise on it, because otherwise the, 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 the interest will wane. And so he has revealed now that she suffered from stage fright and that's why she drank before going on stage. Pfft, yeah, right. Yeah, right. I mean, put it this way, you can say anything because it's not documented. She's dead. She can't come back and go, Dad, don't be so stupid. Don't try and justify where I drank. Nothing to do with stage fright. Let me tell you, it really isn't. He's lifted the lid on her spire into drug and booze and that was the first one. She drank before performing because she hated singing about... Her ex-husband. Yeah, right. <laughs> Anything to flog a book, eh? Anything to... F- You've got to make it interesting. If it's not interesting, nobody's going to buy the blooming thing. Uh, Johnny Depp, who I almost thought was somewhat peculiar, has split from uh, Vanessa 14 years. But apparently for, for months, they've been living separate lives. So it, doesn't make, it doesn't make any difference, actually, does it? Uh, and they've also got a, the devastated girlfriend of cricket ace Tom Maynard has told her mum I'm heartbroken. This is glamour model Carly Baker... They're always glamour models, aren't they? What is it about glamour models? You know, for that read, you know, <laughs> the lower end of the stick, I'm afraid. If you've got a stick, glamour models are so far, they've fallen off the bottom of it. There's no, there's no, there's no glamour in it. It's a seedy, tacky little world. There's a, there's a picture of the paper today, because I said that Ascot is a bit, a bit tacky. And I'm afraid it has turned into some tacky. And there's a, a woman here, and I had, to, I had to check out who she is, just to find out. Because whenever somebody's put down as a TV presenter, I always go, well, I've never heard of you. I've never seen you on TV. And this one's name is Annika Svenska. Annika Svenska is uh, a TV presenter. 
the heck she is, ladies and gentlemen. She's popped up on a few programmes because she puts herself down as a wildlife campaigner. She was apparently on some TV programme for three years, which nobody's ever heard of. And if you check out her website, it's all me, 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 me. There's nothing in it at all. It's her talking about herself and how she goes round to a lot of corporate dog shows. I wasn't really sure how to interpret those two this morning, but there's lots of pictures of Annika Svenska, who saves dogs in Romania, and obviously is desperate to be somebody, but is nobody. She's absolutely nobody. The more I read into it, the more you realise it was a right bunch of old hooey, I'm afraid. It really was. She's listed everything she's ever done in her life, you know, woke up, sneezed, put that down, put that down, went to toilet, put that down, three times, put that down. You know, it's, it's one of those sort of biogs. Check her out on Google. It's worth it, just for a laugh. She's very pretty, but and she's turned up looking like a complete, a complete dumpty thing at Ascot, wearing a, a look-at-me kind of dress, drawing attention to herself. She's an attention seeker without any talent at the end of it. She, she looks after dogs and she saves a few dogs, and that's it. And there's a little picture of her when she was on Daybreak, which, of course, as you now know, is gone. So that wasn't very clever. She's done a few other little shows as well. She obviously sets herself up as some sort of, you know, I-look-after-dogs kind of thing. But, I mean, looking at this ridiculous outfit she's wearing in the paper the other day, and to put yourself down as a TV presenter, is, my dear, I'm afraid, a trifle misleading. I'm just telling the truth to be helpful. Let's take another quick break, after which we talk about the glamorous people who go to Ascot. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. This week saw the return of Royal Ascot and the race organisers have hired stylist assistants to stop women turning up in skirts too short and hats too small. About time, I think, and you agree. Spot on, says Phil. Your description of a day at the races, except the last bit, he said, I don't remember collecting any winnings. No, I didn't collect any winnings either. I tended to find, actually, when I went racing, it was easy to go each way. Because that way you, you sort of better ch- better chance of something. But I'm rubbish at things like that. Some some people are very good. They study form. And I watched them on the television yesterday because there was more horse racing. God knows it's boring on the television. It's like watching darts or bowls or something or synchronised swimming. There's so many dull things that you think, well, that, you know, I'd rather watch the test car with a bit of pretty music underneath it. I'm not remotely interested in... In, in horse racing on the television. I know it's just an opportunity, you know, for all the people. I mean, Claire Balding's got this... She, her wardrobe must be amazing because she pitched up again yesterday. I, I walked in, I switched on the telly and I was doing something on the computer and I heard her familiar voice coming. I thought, she's working again. This girl never stops working. I mean, she should be deified very, very shortly because she's on the television more than anybody else. But, I mean, she's, she's very entertaining. Well, she's not entertaining. She's just sort of... She's just, she knows what she's talking about. So when she talks about horses, she understands form. She knows exactly what, she, you know, she's not bluffing it, whereas some of them bluff it, you know. And that's why Fern Cotton will never be allowed to do any commentary at Ascot. She can't talk about fashion. She doesn't know anything about fashion at all. She might have a fashion line, but she has nothing to do with it. They just put, put names, I think her and Holly Willabooby have got a fashion range. And uh, as they go there, I suppose people who, who watch racing, you know stand behind John McCrick and watch him making these funny scenes. Two to one on down, and you think, oh, go away, you buffoon. They call him a great British eccentric. No, he's not. Just a very silly person, I'm afraid. Um, apparently, most of you wake up grumpy in the morning. Regularly. Six out of ten Britons regularly wake up in a bad mood. How can you wake up in a bad mood? You've been asleep for hours, and you wake... How can you wake up in a bad mood? There's nothing to be in a bad mood about. You've only just woken up. Or is it waking up that makes you grumpy? 
I never wake up in a bad mood. Apparently, there are two mornings a week blighted by black moods, which means over the course of a lifetime, we wake up in a strop 6,292 times, according to a survey. The biggest cause is a poor night's sleep, followed by the prospect of a heavy workload ahead. That wouldn't wake you up in a bad mood. <coughs> Excuse me, because when you when you wake up, you, you can't think of anything, can you? you have to sort of, it takes you a few minutes to get yourself together, think, where am I? Well, I'm still alive. I'm in the bedroom. That's a good start. Let's head for the bathroom. Oh, let's have a look. at. Oh, dear me. Look in the mirror. Let's, let's do the restoration job for, for today. So, do you wake up in a bad mood? I'd love to know. 08456060973. And uh, one here that says the government should bring in new laws to close the loopholes. Would that mean upsetting their rich mates? Says Kevin. No, actually, I don't think that they should. Uh... Mind you, of course, if we all did it, we'd be in the situation of Greece, wouldn't we? All the money would be offshore. Guernsey would be the place to go and live. But I, I don't think it's ever going to get like that because there is only a, it is only a handful of people. But, I mean, who'd have thought Take That could have banked 26 million? They reckon there's about 186 million offshore in, uh, in Guernsey. I reckon there's loads more. Loads more. There's seriously super rich people. I mean, was it not put out that Bob Geldof, all his properties registered overseas? Everything. You know, considering he's... he's and then we had the case of... Um, Shane Phelan, who's bankrupt, registered bankrupt, but did it in this country, even though he's Irish, and all his debts are in Ireland, he's done it over here because it's only a year. There's fiddles everywhere. They're all legal. There's nothing the matter with him doing that. It's just that you think, well, I mean, you're Irish. You're so proud to be Irish. You're not doing it there because you don't like the law. And the answer is, of course he is. That's why he's, he's moved the family over to here. There won't be any drop in, in sort of lifestyle, I wouldn't have thought, because the 18 million he went bankrupt over, he borrowed it was borrowed from the Bank of Ireland. More fool them. More fool them going into a recession and he builds houses, which nobody wants. So, you know, hardly any of them sold at all. But, I mean, he's a singer. Why would you think he knows anything about house building? I don't know. That's the way it goes. But that, that's what happens nowadays. People, people don't want to pay tax. They find, you know, good accountants who move stuff around. And, and that's what happens. And it's, and it's legal. I'm just amazed that there's so much money in it. You know, it does seem like an awful lot of money, doesn't it? Twenty-six million and three point three million for Jimmy Carr, which he's putting in every year. I'd love to know what his what his what his fund is. I mean, obviously saving up for a rainy day. They all do that. Davina McCall said the same to me once. She said, "I'm going to work really hard on television and bank all the money." She said, "She's not into flash spending at all." She said, "So then I've got money so I can retire." So you're going to have all these very rich celebrities, because they do earn a lot of money on television. You know, they, it's, it's very easy for somebody, if, you, if you're a regular presenter, to earn, you know, 200000 a year. It would be easy-peasy. As I say, Jimmy Carr, with the amount of shows that he's got running on, on television, I would think if he's not taking home at least six to £750,000 a year just from the TV stuff, I'd be really surprised. In fact, I'd fire his agent if he's not getting him that sort of money, because it would be simple to get that. fifteen to 20,000 quid a programme he would be on. You've only got to work it out. You count up how many times you see him on television. Start working it out. Not when he's a guest on somebody's programme. Graham Norton, I should imagine, must be grossing well in excess of a million and a half for doing his hosting. Easy peasy to get that kind of money. And then added on to that, if you're a comedian, you go out. Jimmy Carr told us on In Conversation, he said that what he does is he sits down and writes a show at the beginning of the year... He's thinking about it over Christmas, and he writes his new comedy show, and then he tours with that for the year, and that will be his earner for that year. And then next year, he then writes another show. So each year, he's writing another show. Then there's the DVD, and there's everything else. I mean, it would be easy to gross for a really good comedian. I mean, how much do you think 
the bloke from the office, Ricky Gervais, is grossing. He must be doing 10 to 15 million a year. He's playing stadiums. You could work it out for yourself. There's only him and a microphone. There's not exactly some huge set. They haven't had to sort of bring something in, sort of like a barricade that turns round in an orchestra. Nope, there's just him. Just him on stage. Victoria would the same. You just walk on stage with a microphone and go, hello. And then people fall about laughing. And it's good. It's good. <laughs> Stephen Arlington said, 26 million. Wasn't that the amount that went missing in Brinks, Matt? <laughs> now, that would be funny, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be the best joke ever? Wouldn't that be the best joke ever? And we found the people behind Brinks, Matt, and it is, in fact, take that. <laughs> they were all out there because nobody, nobody, nobody thought it would be them at all. It was fantastic. Uh, John says, some mornings I wake up grumpy. Other mornings I let her sleep. Thank you. It's, it's an old one, but it's, it's worth repeating. A lot of people saying that the government should close these loopholes. I don't think that they should. I don't think that they should. I think there has to be some incentive, because all these people will do, if the government start closing the loopholes, they'll just register themselves somewhere else, like Monaco. Places like, like Monaco welcome tax exiles. They welcome people like that. Gary Barlow, you know, there he was, brown-nosing the Queen and everybody else. And all the time he's thinking, oh, I've got 26 million in an offshore account. And I'm thinking, you see, I think Gary Barlow, like Jimmy Carr, man of the people. I don't have any problem with what they do with their savings. It's just it seems like an awful lot of money. Isn't it? 26 million for, uh, for take that. But it's good. It's good. I don't have any problem with that at all. If they, if they can manage to do it and get away with it. But all they'll do, and Cameron knows this, and, every, and Miliband and everybody else in the government, that if they then close these loopholes, they'll move all their money offshore. And all you'll do is you'll pay it into a bank account in Monaco. That's all that will happen. And they'll end up... Or failing that, they just move themselves, lock stock, out the country. And they live, like some people do, so many... There used to be a thing years ago, didn't there, that the rich people had to spend so much time out of the country and then you could come back in for certain... Day, you know, 90 days a year you could come in because they, they technically moved all their money elsewhere. And that's all they'll do. They'll earn all their money in this country and they'll just take it out of the country because they'll be registered living somewhere else. You don't seriously think when Liza Minnelli comes over she pays British tax? No, of course she doesn't. She gets paid a fee, which will probably go into her account back in America. That's how it works. Fairly straightforward. It's been going on for a long time. I myself, as I say, have an offshore account in Blackpool, as you know, one of my favourite places, and all my £2.20 is staying there. I don't care what anybody says about it. You'd be the same yourself. Nobody could ever disagree about, uh, about tax legal avoidance. Everybody would want to do it. Every single person listening would be saying the same thing. If I had that much money, I'd be doing that. I'd be paying an accountant a good deal to make sure that my money was protected and that I had some sort of future going on and I could save the money. Everybody does it. Everybody does it. Uh, Prince William, of course, has, has woken up a little bit richer this morning because on his 30th birthday he gets £10 million from Mummy's estate. So that's good. So he's now got this huge windfall because she left an estate worth... 12,966. How on earth could she leave an estate? What did she do for a living? How much did, how much did it pay working in these, in these shops? If she left an estate worth 12 million. 12, good God. It's awful lot, isn't it? After tax deductions, 8,502,000. The tax, even in death, the tax man is there. Give us your money. Give us your money. So they took it. But uh, she's got uh, shrewd investment, stocks and shares, jewellery, dresses and other personal items. And they reckon it would have grown to about 20 million. So the boys get 10 million each, which is nice. It's a nice legacy. But to be honest with you, what, what's William going to do with 10 million? He doesn't, he doesn't need 10 million. He's, he's living quite well. He's living particularly well on a, on a pilot's licence in the RAF. 
He must be doing better with his money than everybody else, because nobody else I know in the RAF lives to that standard. You know, I mean, look at the houses they've got. Anyway, he has this house, and he's got a wife, and I don't think she works. I think she's sort of full-time, full-time duchess, which is kind of, it's like a job nowadays, isn't it? You know, we were talking yesterday about a woman called Binky. Binky's in, uh, the only way is is, is Chelsea. And Binky, like, has got loads of money. Binky's got, like, you know, shed loads. Binky is, like, seriously rich. And everybody calls her Binky. It's not her real name. They just call her Binky. And uh, she's very loaded. But I don't think William's going to do anything with his £10 million. He'll probably just stick it back in the bank again and go, thank you very much indeed, but I don't, I don't need it. Yes, Philip Schofield, I would think, will be another one. You watch. They'll start investigating Philip Schofield next. They'll start investigating Philip Schofield. And what they will do is that they will just go through company's house because he must be channeling it into a company. He would be an idiot not to. That's what most people in the business do. A lot of people in this business, radio, set up a company and they pay themselves dividends from the company. I don't. It's far too complicated. I know a couple of people who who work in this building. I know quite a number of people in this building. But a couple of them have, have done that. They've sort of set up a company and they pay themselves dividends. I don't understand that side of it. It, it, it seemed far too complicated, so, uh, so I didn't bother. But uh, Philip Schofield must have done that. I would think Holly, Holly Willoughby as well. Anybody who's got more than two jobs and you're raking in the sort of money that Schofield must be raking in, this morning, all his, his coverages, then he's got the box or the cube or whatever it's called, now he's got Mr and Mrs. Good God, he must be raking in a 40... He must be, he must be turning over more than £2 million a year easily. That's why he looks so happy half the time, <laughs> sitting there earning that kind of money. And people do it, don't they? they? They do it to make sure they don't have to worry about money when it gets to the retirement age. Ian in Harlow says, re-being chased for money by the authorities. I'm being chased uh, for an unpaid CSA. They told me the account was closed, but then they admitted they got the date wrong by one day. There you see. You've got to pay it, though, haven't you? Because otherwise it's, uh, it's, it's, it's dreadful. And and you you then go on to a fine, then you can't borrow any money, you can't do anything at all, I'm afraid. So you you must pay, even though they've made a mistake, which which doesn't actually uh, doesn't really help actually. Uh, Cameron is trying to step on Jimmy Carr using avoidance tax because he's afraid it'll give the rest of us the green light. We could end up like Greece. I don't think we'd ever end up like Greece. I don't think it's ever going to get to that uh, that stage. But uh, somebody here says Cameron is wrong, morally wrong, commenting on. Cars tax arrangements. He didn't uh, say the same thing about Gary Barlow because he supports the Tories. I don't know. I've never, I've never known what Gary Barlow supported. Does he support the, support the Tories? Where's that come from? I've no idea. I couldn't. I can't see Gary Barlow being a Tory at all. I don't know why. I can't. Very. He's, he, he comes from Manchester. He's not going to support the Tories. He's working class lads. He's working class. We, we know that he, he brown noses the Queen, you know, but that's, you know, that's the Queen, for goodness sake. Everybody would do that, given the choice. You know, that's why Prince Charles has got loads of uh, hanger-oners. Uh, they're people who help out all his foundations and everything else. They're people who are very rich who want to say, I know Prince Charles. That's the way the system works, I'm afraid. I think this whole tax avoider story will keep running for a while longer. Everybody loves a hypocrite. So those were my best bits from last week. I'll be back tomorrow morning from 4am. But don't forget, if you miss the show, you can download it from the website, which is lbc.co.uk. And every day you can get a free extra podcast from me as well. I'm up next in In Conversation with Gareth Gates and Danny DeVito. And your chance to hear another extract from my chat with the legend that was Victor Spinetti after his sad passing earlier this week. But first, it's the news at six. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen.